friends and fans of The Gauntlet, it's Marsh here with a public service announcement. There will be no new episode next week as we are busy preparing for our very special 100th episode celebration and retrospective. However, we won't leave you hanging. Gauntlet Movie Mixtape Volume 4 with songs and sounds from episodes 31 to 40 will drop next week on Tuesday, May 9th, so look out for that. In the meantime, you got something you want to say to us? Say it to our face. We are soliciting any and all comments, questions, and feedback for our 100th episode celebration. Please send us emails or voice messages or whatever you want to gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com and we will read or play them on the air. Compliments, complaints, we're taking all comers. Maybe you have a, a suggestion for a future topic you want us to cover. Maybe you have a, a fantasy double feature you want to share with us. A favorite episode we've done. A least favorite episode we've done. Direct all communiques once again to gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com before May 10th and make sure you tune in for our 100th episode celebration dropping May 16th. So yeah, that's uh, that's it. Peace. The policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder. Gentlemen, get the thing straight once and for all. We clear the streets along his route, deploy our men, and create an impassable barrier. A gauntlet, if you will. He will have a chance. I challenge you to a duel. Oh. Oh. The truth this guy's starting to get on my nerves. You want to crown them? They crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them on the street. It's hot. It's hot out there. Let's, we all walk out there. Very, very, very hot. Open fire! Hello, friends. Welcome to The Gauntlet. I am one of your hosts, Eric Marsh, and with me today is Andrew Stasiulis. And we have a special guest here today filling in for Ryan, filmmaker, poet, cricket, Ryland Walker Knight. Hello, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you for being here. It is a very special episode. It's our 99th episode. And, uh, damn. Wow, what a long, strange trip it's been. And, uh, we're preparing a little something for the 100th episode. Uh, but today we're talking about 1999, episode 99, 1999 mindset. Mm -hmm. And I asked the guys here to, Bring me films from from 1999, or I suppose about 1999, and they certainly did. And uh, you know, my idea for the episode was that uh, when I was away, you guys did uh, no parents, no rules, and so uh, with Ryan away this week, it's like the kids are away, the adults will play. And I thought <laughs> that we could, yeah, maybe uh, maybe reminisce about 1999 a little bit as old guys, and uh, and and. See, see what we come up with. And uh, 
you brought two classics, two films I, I like very much and, and always have, and uh, I'm very excited to talk about them with you here on The Gauntlet. So let's, uh, let's bring out the films. Andy, your film is the earlier of the two, so why don't you uh, bring it on out? With pleasure. Um, yeah, this one was very tough. Um, because 99 has a lot of hell of a year, great movies, interesting movies, bad movies, which are also fun to talk about. So when I was going through the list, I was, I was really, really struggling. There are, there are just so many that, that are now earmarked for perhaps even later episodes, movies I'd even forgot that, uh, (laughs) You know, forgot anyway that they were made. Yeah, that they were made in 1999. I mean, 99. That's the Matrix. I mean, there are some 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 watershed films from that. Before we started recording, we were you know Ryland was sharing a story about seeing Al Pacino uh, filming The Insider, another amazing movie from 1999. I mean, there are just so many, so many to choose from. And I should point out that, that I had already brought a film from 1999 on an earlier episode, John McTiernan's The 13th Warrior. So, so I was like, oh man, what the hell am I going to do? And, and, and Ryland actually had come to me first with basically his shortlist. He had two that he'd said, you know, this is it. I'm, I'm going with one of these. And, and that helped me immensely settle on the film that I ultimately chose because I was coming at this very two-dimensionally at first. I was so focused on movies made in 1999 and and one of the films that he had chosen was about 1999 one of his you know short lists and i was like fuck this changes everything <laughs> which then opened the door for me to ultimately select a film that i know we are all big fans of so i figured what the hell let's you know ryan's away we can we can have as much fun as we want, you know. We don't have to limit ourselves here. We don't have to to get tied up in in procedure and anything like that. Let's just go for it. So I said, "Fuck it. Let us let's 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 lean into the party aspect." So I chose a film from 1998, directed by the great Hype Williams in his first and only feature to date, and that, of course, is. Belly. For those who haven't seen Belly, it takes place in 1999, the the eve of the new millennium, and our story concerns two friends, uh, Buns or Tommy. I guess he's got like three different nicknames in the film. He he kind of is like he 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 when he's introduced, it's like this is Buns, Bunsy. Tommy, right? He kind of goes by all three of those names. He's got multiple names, um, which is very fitting because he's played by DMX, a very larger-than-life presence. And uh, Tommy has a friend. Uh, His name is Sincere, and he is played by another great hip-hop artist, Nas. 
They are self-described outlaws, a sort of late 90s butch and Sundance, and they they are, as the film opens, living their best lives, robbing other gangsters, hustling, selling drugs, making money however they can. They're in that full, uh, you know, late 90s money mindset. Um, however, as time progresses, the, the story uh, carries us throughout 1999 as we get closer and closer to the turning of the century. Both of these young men are going to go through spiritual crises, crises of conscience. Uh, they're going to, to question the lives that they've lived up to this point. But alongside that, there is going to be a lot more uh, uh, fighting and killing and slanging and uh, some very, very, very uh, uh, electric cinematography. I mean, this movie, for those who haven't seen it, is one of the wildest looking movies you've you've never seen i guess if you haven't seen it um because for those who who don't know hype williams was throughout the 90s arguably like the biggest um music video director certainly in the hip-hop uh in the hip-hop genre i mean this guy really is is credited especially today now with really kind of like changing the dynamic of of music videos not just in how they're shot but also in the prominence of like the music video director i mean he was a music video like superstar and and that led him to make this film and and so the movie and i'm sure we're going to dive into it so i don't want to just spend a lot of time on it right now but it, it, it's basically a, a, a very 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 interesting experience because it's, it's a feature film but it is it is shot and edited and constructed very much like one very long music video. I mean, it's like a, a, a music video in epic form. I mean, that's really, I think, the best way to approach it. Um, I love it. It's wild. I know you both love it, so I'm sure we're going to have a blast talking about it today. So that is the film that I selected, Hype Williams' Belly from 1998. Thank you very much, Andy. Ryland, why don't you tell us about the film you brought? I brought a movie from 1999. I had a few ideas, just like Andy. Um, I was a senior in high school in 1999. Yes. Graduated in 2000. Uh, we're all about the same age, right? Like, there's that's some sort of theme as well, right? Like, the kids are away. Yeah. I was starting high school in 1999, so we would have, like... O overlapped in high school by like a year, you know. I, I would have been like, "Who's this older guy who likes movies?" Yeah. You know? I was a I was a sophomore, so you would have been like the cool senior I looked up to, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. Or you know, just a guy wearing fleece. <laughs> who wasn't? Anyways, um, I did see this movie in theaters at the California yes. in Berkeley. Now closed. It's sort of an outlier in the filmmaker's career. Maybe I think it's starting to pick up steam again as something that people like. But you know, it, it's a Martin Scorsese movie. It starts stars Nicolas Cage. Uh, it's called Bringing Out the Dead, and it was written by Paul Schrader based on something of a hot property book. 
that came out in the early 90s by this guy Joe Connolly, who was an EMT for about five years before he quit because he was basically burnt out. Uh, uh, like a lot of the stories in this movie are from his experience. At any rate, Schrader wrote the first draft while Marty was editing Kundun. Um, so the first draft was dated like November 97. So it's kind of wild, like for a while I thought it was like uh, he had a, like a bomb with Kundun so he needed something more commercial to get back. Uh, you know, so he got the Taxi Driver team to do another version of Taxi Driver, which it kind of is. But uh, I think uh, his standing in the industry was different, obviously. <clears throat> that he was allowed to fail in a certain way that people aren't allowed to really anymore. Like people are already anxious about the, the new one being like four hours. <laughs> like so much investment in other people's well-being, I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, it's a four-hour movie, who cares? So Nicolas Cage plays Frank Pierce. Uh, he's also going through a crisis of conscience, uh, a spiritual awakening maybe. He's an EMT, he's done for five years, and he's been losing people. He lost one person a year prior to our story, that, and she's sort of haunting him through, throughout the movie. It's kind of a movie of ghosts. As you can imagine, an EMT loses a lot of people, so they have all these ghosts around them. And it's uh, made in 99, but it's about the early 90s before it got Rudy giuliani um, So it's kind of grimy like Taxi Driver, but it's also Robert Richardson. I think it's as beautiful an aesthetic object as something like Color of Money or Goodfellas or whatever, Casino. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, Richardson shot Casino too. Um, but yeah, I think I, I really like it. <laughs> it's kind of a great... Uh, nightmare machine like it just uh, keeps generating all these nightmares for him and it's sort of like a picaresque too which is fun but it also very much a Schrader story about this guy who doesn't know how to live life mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know he's like moving towards a transcendence or something which he sort of gets to anyways that's bringing out the dead and I'm sure we'll get into it no doubt no doubt thank you very much uh yeah you know it's it's funny to me because you know being I suppose of, of a certain age, as we've established, and we're all around roughly uh, the same place. It's like uh, both of these films have gained a lot of cult, you know, support over the years. Uh, they were both deemed bombs, although interestingly, uh, Belly made money, and Bringing Out the Dead was a disaster. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, Hype Williams never never worked again, and. Marty's out there making four hour long epics, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it makes you wonder. But uh, to me, it's it's funny because, yes, uh, I was like 14, 15. These movies coming out, like watched them on video, didn't see Bringing Out the Dead in, in theaters like Ryland. It wasn't that cool uh, yet. But uh, I always love these movies. Football. Uh, yeah, too busy playing football and video <laughs> games for sure. Um I'll always love these movies. Like these are these are VHS classics to me, you know, that I watched on VHS and then upgraded to DVD at a certain point. Like these are two movies that I've just like always had in my life. So I guess it's interesting that like they're yeah, they're they're at this point even controversial at all. Like they're good movies, you know? <laughs> like I mean, it's so self-evident. Uh so this whole time I've just been sitting there like, yeah, of course. I've been I've been telling people to watch these movies for years. Like they're great. So uh, it was really fun, fun to revisit uh, in that regard and and how much they really do have in common. Like and no matter what year they're set, I think 
you know, one set a year in the future, one set like eight years in the past, uh, they do have that millennium anxiety, you know, that's sort of at the core uh, of both of these films, like new century, new millennium, like what are the possibilities, right? So I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that these stories sort of hit at, uh, you know, the same time and being like, should we be re rethinking uh, perhaps the ways we've been living, you know, or at least trying to process or understand it in, in some way, you know, yeah. because the the portraits of New York, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a dark, dangerous place out there, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... Um, was very excited to revisit both of these films because it had been a, a long time since I'd seen them, and I, I've, I like you, always really, really enjoyed them. Thought they were they were great movies, but I, I think particularly with Bringing Out the Dead, there was a lot in there that I, I didn't really fully like remember like I their images with like any movie you know that you know the, the figure that, that's just stuck in there but but I have to say like to that point and specifically to this kind of like turn of the century anxiety like man I forgot how like apocalyptic bringing out the dead is like this is a movie in which the world outside of that ambulance is absolutely falling apart. It's dying. It's breaking. Like, society is crumbling. I mean, I think there's even a point later in the film where where Nick Cage is like, you know, let's, let's go and, you know, get back in the ambulance. And I think he says to Tom Sizemore, the city's burning, right? And it's like the world is burning like we've come this far and we are trying our best to to limp over to to you know carry our wounded over this 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 millennial turning point and it's like we are we're not gonna make it you know we are not gonna make it and with belly right because you know i think it's 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 a little bit differently it's this it's it's looking ahead at this at this turning point and measuring the world that we're in and the world ahead of us and encouraging us to to question like where we are i think belly is more certainly by its ending ultimately kind of and and we can get there a little bit later and talk about how how whether or not we think that really like works in the rest of the with the rest of the movie but it's it's almost encouraging us to say hey you know we have a chance. We have a chance. Like we've, we may have been fucking up to this point, but let's not squander this opportunity or taking this opportunity to perhaps, you know, reflect upon what this moment might mean. But yeah, they are both very much wrapped up in that ticking clock that is looming towards 2000 and what that might bring. Yeah, he's also trying to quit the whole movie. <laughs> he doesn't want the job, but he's good at it, you know? Like, he's trying to slough off a lot of the past, and that's what sort of Patricia Arquette represents, a chance to start over in a certain way. Like, she's like his salvation. I mean, he's like all Schrader guys. He's got this whole Madonna whore thing. <laughs> yeah, I do think even though it's about the early 90s, it's about trying to retire a certain way of living, you know? Um 
in that way, it's very American, very like perfectionism, you know, like always trying to, there's a certain transcendental history in American philosophy and art and whatnot. So, you know, you know, like obviously Scorsese is a very big Christian. That'll be part of the reading for sure. But yeah, watching it again, um, definitely interested in talking to you guys about how the formal aspects of it, like how it's constructed it is and how precise it is. Like I think I was comparing it to Taxi Driver, which is really precise too. Anyway, I just think that's something to be celebrated, like how controlled it is. It, it's just like, just like I said, it's like just an, as much an aesthetic object as Casino or Color of Money. And he's just going ham with the stylistics. And he and Thelma are like cutting different things. And I got off topic there. I don't know. Sorry, I lost the thread. No. That's what we're all about. No, that's not off topic at all. Yeah, this apocalyptic thing is, is like dread. <laughs> There's all this, uh, the roving cameras, like uh, moving across people everywhere, like it's surveilling, you know. He's just surveying the world that's decaying, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like every everything he sees outside of that ambulance, it's it's like it's people who are who are dying, who are like on you know dead maybe already. I mean, there's so many people outside of that ambulance that just look like zombies. You know, even the people who aren't Mr. O. Yeah, Mr. O, right? Who by the way, when I was watching it this time, I I was like, I was like, that's Schrader, right? It, Mr. O is Schrader, right? Because it kind of looks like Paul Schrader a little bit. And I was like, I was like, that'd be funny, right? If it was actually Schrader playing this like disgusting, smelly, alcoholic bum that that this is basically is using the the ambulance service as like a, a, a taxi basically every night. I was like, that's got to be Schrader. It isn't Schrader though. I I double checked, but I was like, man, that would have been brilliant casting right there, you know. He shows up in one of his own movies as a mob boss. Um, did you see Dog Eat Dog? That movie he made before First Reform with Willem Dafoe? Oh, God, that's right. Yeah, that's a greasy movie. Uh, yeah, it's dirty. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's nasty. It, it starts with Willem Dafoe stabbing a woman in the back. <laughs> like, I think he jumps on her. Yeah. You know, it occurs to me now that the way you both were sort of describing bringing out the dead... Um, it is like a survey of this this graveyard, this ghost land, this dream world, right? Uh, and thinking about it as like Nicolas Cage, I mean, as it's even said in the movie, like, do I have an, any purpose in this world other than the bearing witness, you know? Like, because he's sick of bearing, wit <laughs> bearing witness, you know? But it's like, that's, I think, what the mode that Scorsese is kind of operating in formally is you know, the Rossellini turn in the 50s, the cinema of the seer, right? Not of necessarily the doer. Yeah, he does his job, but it's about what he sees, real and imagined, or whether there's a difference, who cares really in this movie. I mean, and to your point, Ryland, like formally, in my mind, I'm thinking, I love bringing out the dead. It's one crazy movie, and, I, and it is, but I'm watching it this time going like, oh, it's so elegant. It's like not... It's never like uncontrolled, you know. I was thinking maybe it was a little in my memory. It was like more punk than it is yeah, because more madcap. Yeah, yeah, he's actually operating with Richardson and Thelma on just such a very elegant formal level that is not punk at all. It's like super refined. It's just Scorsese, you know. It's just very stylish, but also you know practical. Yeah, you could also say it's like an REM song. <laughs> What's the frequency, baby? We have a call, Chief. Somebody's bleeding, 44th and A. 
No, no, break, break! It's the water, turn around. Oh yeah, one of the like first CDs I, I had, you know. Uh, what's the frequency, Kenneth, dude? There's also 10,000 Maniacs, which I think is actually fun. I think it's actually played for laughs, but uh, <laughs> that song is so bad. <laughs> well, you know, since you since you brought it up, like, I, you know, Martin Scorsese, right, and his his music drops. The man loves him. I guess I, I, I again in my memory, like looking back on it, like like you'd said, Marsh, like yeah, I'd always been like. Oh yeah, bring out the dead. It's just like fucking punk rock, like the whole time. It's like, no, it isn't. I really noticed this time that, you know, because it's basically the film, again, formally structure-wise, it's broken up over three days, right? And three shifts predominantly we see for Frank. And each shift he gets partnered up with a different driver. And and who he's partnered with really kind of like determines the vibe for that that evening's shift. And I noticed this time that in the first day where he's partnered up with John Goodman, uh, and John Goodman's character is just kind of this like dad, right? This guy who's just kind of like, hey, I'm just trying to put in my 20, then I'm going to move out to the burbs, create a, a private ambulance service, right? He's just got the plan for being like, yeah, this sucks, but I'm just not going to let it affect me because I have my my sights set on on fleeing the city, on getting out of this shithole. And he seems to be more interested in like dinner than, than the death and the carnage around him. But like the music that evening is all like 90s, uh, like mid 90s alternative. That's where like, what's the frequency? Kenneth is playing like... So the vibe is just kind of like this, like, like alternative, you know, like Gen X kind of vibe, like of just like, who cares, man, who cares? And then the second night he gets hooked up with Ving Rhames, who's got like the, the amazing, like slicked back hair <laughs> and his character's just sort of a Lothario, but also a very religious man, or at least is Real using... Elmer Gantry ass guy, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he is... He's preaching fire and brimstone in the ambulance. But again, it's like he is making sense of the carnage or he's he's using religion and and maybe even an, an almost ironic usage of religion to sort of shield himself from the carnage. And when they're cruising, it's all 70s soul music. That's the soundtrack. And then, of course, the third shift, when he gets hooked up with the psychotic Tom Sizemore, that's when it's just like speed, yes, and it's just clash, and it, it, it that's when it really feels so fucking punk rock yeah. because that's when he is giving into the madness with this crazy, violent, psychotic guy Tom Sizemore as his co. So it's like each day has its own sort of soundtrack, and and I guess I, again I didn't notice that the first time around, but again it's a very clear, deliberate choice for like. This is the soundtrack for this point. This is the soundtrack for this point, and this is the soundtrack for this point. I, I do want to say it starts with Van Morrison. Like I think the very first song is Van Morrison with like harmonica and stuff. One for Marty. <laughs> <laughs> One for the dispatcher. <laughs> yeah, like I think I he mean, was in the back yeah. of the, tr- the ambulance. Like he was in the back of the ambulance the whole shoot, just like directing from the back of the ambulance even Amazing. when they were on a process trailer and i know he talked a lot about how the movie was like a way for him to think about compassion um and what compassion is classic like is it just an end i like what 
so the movie starts with John Goodman and Nicolas Cage responding to a 911 cardiac arrest and turns out to be uh, Patricia, Patricia Arquette's, sorry. Yeah. A lot of Arquette's Patricia out Arquette's, there. Yeah, they're, uh, yeah, it's her dad. Um, and he looks like he's dead. But then there's a pulse and he's sort of kept alive for... I mean, that's kind of the question of the movie. <laughs> like, why do we keep these people alive? And like, what is compassion to keep this guy alive? Or at, at what cost? Or all, and what, at all the cost of all these other man hours? And- what does he get? Like 17 defibs? That's like, just in one day. In one day, they, yeah. did, they did 17, 14. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're shocking this guy like every every like half hour. Yeah, to keep him alive. I mean, it's amazing how much this film looks forward in in that sense. I think to silence, um, in terms of like that element of compassion, right, and the, that sort of like deeper level of stuff uh, he's thinking about. But I was also thinking too. I'm like, what what old movies is he riffing on? You know, like I'm yeah. always trying to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking a lot of like maybe Luton and Tornare here, like in Shutter Island. Again, mm-hmm. I think he's there's the seeds of a lot of future stuff he's going to do in here. You know, no surprise being a personal filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. you know? He like totally like drifts into horror at several points yeah. throughout the film. I mean, it's 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 very much that way. I did want to say one thing just before we get too far afield from it, um, because we were on the subject of music, and as you brought up, you know, the man is pronounced dead on the scene, but it's 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 actually oh a piece my God. of Andy's a, moment, a piece of music that brings him back, and Frank. it's Sinatra, dude, like. The, Nick Cage says, like, well, hey, maybe it'd be nice if you played some music for him. Basically thinking, like, the guy's dead. Yeah. And then as soon as they put Sinatra on, he gets a pulse back. Yeah. You know, his heart starts up again, dude. Old blue eyes can bring back the dead, Unbelievable dude. moment. <laughs> That's one yeah. for Marty right yeah. there, dude. That shit is so funny. <laughs> I mean, while we're talking about music, then I'm, I want to circle back to Belly because... Oh, yeah, let's talk about music. Yeah, man. I mean, I think... I mean, it's obvious, right? These films do really share so much. And, like, no surprise, Belly's, like, in general, kind of a ripoff of Scorsese in certain ways, right? Just generically. Oh, it's Main Street's all over the place, yeah. Who isn't ripping off Scorsese in in 1998, 1999? But, you know, Scorsese being, of course, uh, the great sort of jukebox you know, director who really like ushered in the jukebox style of soundtrack, you know, stolen from Kenneth Anger or whatever he claims, you know, like in, in, then, you know, Belly, of course, is is the mixtape. Right. And it's an, another mm. film structured around through and with music. And it's not just the music that's played on the soundtrack, but it's the music of the voiceover, the music of how people talk, the music of the camera, the music. I mean, the whole film thinks, I think, musically. It's at least how it feels to me. A lot of people nowadays are like, yeah, it's more like a poem. It's more like, yeah, you know. Or what Andy said, it's, it is this epic music video, this epic mixtape, right? And it brings us right into the movie with the most iconic uh, opening ever, right? You know, the, the assault on the nightclub, you know, with the black lights. It's one of the, the most striking openings uh, of any film ever oh yeah and it's so music driven in the way that there's no sound but then certain sound effects start to penetrate the music and like bring the violent reality uh to the fore i mean it's insane it was the best time of our lives getting money was all we ever did 
Niggas love the Willie Yow. It's a regular night for us. It is an all-timer. Oh, you know? yeah, dude. yeah. And you know what's funny? I I read, because, um, you know, this movie did have a a troubled production. Oh, yeah, big time. And and that opening, of course, it's just, it's it's so, it's so brash. It's so incredible. It's, it is unlike anything you've ever seen before. I mean, the lighting alone is just like, what is going on here? But, but. But that also like had a major effect on the production I read, which was that they said that he basically blew two thirds of the budget on just that opening sequence. They were in a deep fucking hole because of the fact that he shot the hell out of it and and set it up so intensively. And it was like the producers were all just kind of like, dude, we're fucked. He just blew the budget on the first three minutes of the movie. But I mean, like, God damn, dude. I, yeah, it was I, worth I'm, it. I'm so glad he did. Yeah, dude, I'm so it's glad amazing. I mean, it does start with like a little mini overture yes. of DMX. Just say, I mean, I, I didn't write it verbatim or whatever, but maybe you can play it. But oh, I'll play uh, it. <laughs> I sold my soul to the devil. Price was cheap. It was cold on this level. It's twice as deep. It's two o'clock. I'm just about to hit the streets. Until I knock off this rock, I don't get to eat. Sometimes it's like that's the only reason why I hustle. Step on toes, strong arm, and show a little muscle. Ain't no real, though. That's why a nigga feels so frustrated. I hate it, seeing bitch niggas that made it. And I'm robbing niggas just as broke as myself. Fucking with queens ain't too good for a nigga's health. Where's the wealth? In New York, I got to make my rounds. I do whatever for the dollar. Fuck them. You know me, Tommy Grant. But it's like uh, a table setting of like, this is a story about selling your soul to the devil and the price that will come uh, from such a decision. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it's so seductive to have that uh, that song sort of start just a cappella and. Uh, yeah, the whole aesthetic is established, obviously, within that first three minutes. And uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, he agree. steps on a blunt, but the camera's underneath the shoe? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a piece of, like, plexiglass. Total, total Sam Fuller shot. It's insane. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's apparently what happened. People were on the set going, like, what the fuck is going on around here? Like, the, yeah. the producers were not used to his style of... You know, this is what he would do with music videos. I read that, like, he was notorious for even on his videos, like, going over budget and going over time because on the He's set. vibing. Dude. Yeah, on the set, it's just he would start just coming up with ideas. Let's try this. Let's do a shot of this. Let's get this. And and apparently, like, the big friction was, you know, Hype, Hype Williams, like, wanted to shoot, like, until they ran out of like energy, but he was now shooting a feature film with like Hollywood producers and Hollywood money. And they were like, dude, we got unions. All right. You got to get this in eight hours and then stop, you know, whatever you get, that's what you get, you know, for that day, for whatever, you know, is laid out in the schedule. But he just was like, no, 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 no. We've got to, he would just invent. Right. And that's what, what happened in that opening sequence. It's just like, let's do this. Let's go over here. Let's flip this. Let's do that. You know, it's wild. It's yeah, absolutely it fits, wild. It fits the mixtape metaphor perfectly. And like, 
the music idea, you know, that it is a piece of music. It isn't necessarily narrative. I mean, rap and all, all music is storytelling at a certain level, but, um, like, you know, you, you could even say something by Bach is a story, but, um, it's because of the motifs. And like a lot of the motifs here are the, uh, the wide angle lens, the, the moving camera, um, the uh, portraiture like sometimes it just breaks into these like silhouette portraitures and stuff like that and then uh it's all one other funny thing is like there's a lot of cars and sometimes we get rear projection and sometimes we don't and what's funny is everything in new york seems to be rear projection but if they go to ohio wherever that is and if definitely when they go to jamaica it's just like this is a weird documentary we're getting to watch right now um, <laughs> yeah dude the the i'm glad you brought that up too because that like the rear and like frontal projection they're using for like the car especially following that opening shootout i mean it is like uh -huh. it's wild looking i mean it is very like it is, I, I feel intentionally so he's like leaning into the artificiality oh, yeah. of it because it is like just the, the, the footage that they're using for the projection is also almost like blown out a little bit. Like it's very like unreal. It's very otherworldly. And, and yeah. I think he's in this movie, like it is disjointed, but like the disjointedness of, like you said, the, the sort of like shifts in you know, artifice, artifice and then realism, like they, they just contribute to the, like the swirl of, of like moments and vibes and feelings and sensations you get from this film. Like you feel on your toes, you feel as anxious at times as these characters. And I think that's just because everything shifts like in such dramatic ways in tone and in like formal approach like it is it is like bringing out the dead i mean again it is just um on the on the surface it can look very like messy right or or punk or you know hip hop music video in this case but there is a lot of intentionality i think that's buried within certain moments that just you would never learn in like fucking film school or whatever, you no. know, yeah. like it is his, like he made it up. But again, from, as Mar said, like a, a, a rich, rich, like, um, list of influences and people that he was like himself, I think very impressed by, I mean, dude, like, what the fuck goes on? They, after they they do the whole club thing, they go to DMX's house. They go to Tommy's crib, yeah. and he walks yeah. into Kubrick, this Kubrick's house, dude. Right? Yeah. This this or it looked like it looked like fucking uh, to me. It was like um, in uh, Michael Mann's um, um, oh, Manhunter. Man yeah, it looked like Manhunter. You know, this like yeah. ultra modernist space nightmare. But he he strolls into this like nightmare modernist white house and then just picks up a remote and just clicks on gummo like dmx puts yeah. on gummo for these dudes to watch after their their nightclub heist like what is going on yeah like like a 10 foot four by three screen <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay cool um i love a huge tv um but yeah the whole i mean yeah clearly he's tipping his hand that the, the this it's a very different aesthetic style but it's similarly concerned with you know life on the edge life you know not 
mainstream life. Like that's the other difference between it's like both these movies are New York movies, but they're such different New York movies to me. Like the, the, the type of like stakes are very different and very different milieu. In a, and I just think it's cool to see two different people from the same place tell, I mean, well, hype is definitely riffing on mean streets, but yeah. um, <laughs> like the weird documentary aspect, you know, like I think like you were saying, the Rossellini thing is a big part of Marty, but there's, Every movie is a documentary of its own making, right? Somebody said that. And yeah. I think uh, any period piece is about the time it was made more than the period that there is depicting. So it's funny to think about Belly as ending with 99 as a truly jubilant celebration. Uh, you know, like it's pretty beautiful. Like he's talking, the narration he's talking about, like going to Africa. It's like a beautiful sentiment that. You know, I, I mean, I'm white, but <laughs> I think uh, I understand the sentiment very well. And like, it's nice that that is something that it's this other version of the American perfectionism, you know, that there's this frontier that we could achieve somehow. Yeah. Um, or escape to. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then like bring out the dead is very much about 99 in that apocalyptic thing because like uh i think by by that point everybody was like panicked about like computers <laughs> are we gonna, are the computers gonna yeah. be like okay like yeah. like do i have to change my pin or something I don't Dude, know. i've told um, I, I don't know if i've told this story on the pod before but a, a friend of mine's dad was working at Dominic's as a Y2K quality assurance manager. Oh, hell yeah. And I still am like, what did that, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> was he just, yeah. just like people like calling Dominic's being like, what's going to happen to my account? And he's like, I assure you, <laughs> yeah. it's fine. You yeah. know, <laughs> like, or whatever. Like, dude, you're right. People were all spun up back then, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My uncle yeah. was one of those guys. My <laughs> uncle was like talking about how. You know, he, I mean, he he listened to Art Bell a lot, so that that had something to do with it. But you know, he was like describing the food riots that were going to happen at the Dominic's in Bensonville in great detail. He'd seen it all. He was the prophet of doom of Y two K. Man, I mean, what what's funny is you know, as we get older, we probably realize that everybody every era thinks that they're heading towards the apocalypse. Oh yeah. Um, like even though things seem bad everybody thinks like it even says it in he's uh, uh nick cage says it to patricia arquette he's like yeah uh, things seem to get worse but they're always bad or whatever he says i forget the yeah. actual wording but mm-hmm. basically like uh and if, even ving rames says you know it can always get worse <laughs> and, um <laughs> it does for him <laughs> yeah i mean that night ends with ving rames like crashing their their ambulance. Yeah, fl- flipping the ambulance. Again, too, right? There's yeah, even yeah, reference like, like... That's the last time you do this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. Uh, yeah, Ving Rhames really, really destroys this one. I mean, I think the scene in the club... Uh, is is mm. just such a standout where, you know, they, they go to an overdose and it's like this goth new wave, you know, club situation, you know, it's like Neo or whatever. And 
you know, this guy's OD'd and ever and all and it's like this band and there's all these like, you know, interpersonal, like sexual, like squabblings going on between them and everyone's like bitching at each other about why the guy overdosed. Uh and then, you know, they put on a little like they put on a little show. And Ving Rames does the whole again, Elmer Gantry like preacher thing where Nick Cage is just like you know, injecting Narcan into this guy. Yeah. Uh, and then Ving Rames is like, we're going to bring him back from the dead. Rebuke the spirit of drugs in the name of Jesus. What's his name? I be banging. What you mean I be banging? I be banging. What the hell kind of name is I be banging? I don't know his real name. Frederick Smith. Okay, Freddie. It's Frederick. Okay, I be banging. We're going to bring you back from the dead. Now, I want everybody here to grab the hand of the person next to you. Come on now, we ain't got much time. And look up towards the heavens. Dear Lord, here I am again, asking one more chance for a sinner. Please, Lord, bring back Abby Banging, Lord. You have the power, Jesus. You have the might. You have the super light to spare this worthless man. Rise up, Abby Banging, and start your life anew, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. What happened? You fucking died, you stupid bastard. You know? And they're all, like, holding hands. I mean... Do you hear us, Jesus? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is incredible. I be banging. <laughs> I be banging. And again, that's 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 also like Marty, I think, in this case, like Martin Scorsese being like, dude, I was in the punk clubs in the fucking 70s. Like, yeah. this ain't shit now. Like, this is this is yeah. just like, this is like little kids playing dress up right now. Like, because yeah. yeah. there is no edge in that club whatsoever. Like, they are clearly wow. a bunch of soft clowns as far as Martin Scorsese is concerned. Totally. 100%. (laughs) I want to get back to something that you guys were saying about Belly's, like, you know, how it's, like, constantly shifting form, like, this, this music video. And I think really, like, that's what I've always found so brilliant about it is that it's, like, you know, it's, like, genre, dude. It's genre how long have we been making gangster movies, right? How many fucking gangster movies have there been, you know? So then Belly come, exists, and it's like, yeah, like conventionally, uh, it doesn't work in a lot of ways. There's gaps, there's fits and starts, there's all kinds of plots, like, whatever. But it also just, like, skips a bunch of stuff. I mean, like, but it to me it all works because like I've seen a gangster movie. Yeah. You know, like Mm. it almost has this just like purity of action because like stuff is always just happening. Uh, and it's again, like, I don't know. It's like visually or musically motivated. You know what it's, you know what it's like? It, It was, it was, it was bringing me back to of all things, of all things, it was bringing me back to Lancelot Duloc Bresson. And like, you know, Brasson's great mantra of, you know, I'd, I'd really rather you just feel the film, you know, rather than like get it or, or understand it or, you know, try to follow it logically speaking. I'd rather you, you feel the essence of King Arthur and the story or whatever. In the case of Lancelot Duloc, right? And, and I think it's like, he's on the same level here of, 
I, I want you to feel this movie more than try to, yeah, try to, to parcel it all out, try to connect all the dots. Now, obviously part of it from what I understand was again that like it was a troubled production and there were a lot of people showing up very late at times I read I read the oral history that was like published a few years ago or whatever and they said like people were constantly showing up late drunk stoned and and hype Williams who who wrote the script was like doing constant rewrites and and collaborating with all of these people to suddenly just be like, well, what if we did this right now and again just going on intuition going on feeling and it it really I think once I, I was sort of like taking all of that in and then I was thinking of Bersano, I was just like, yeah, that's exactly what's going on here. It's like, these are the images of a gangster movie. These are the images of, uh, of, of, you know, a drama. These are the images of suddenly a social realist depiction of life in Kingston. Right. And it's like, that's all we really need to carry us from one moment to the next. If we give ourselves into it, did either of you guys read, uh, Nick Pinkerton's big breakdown of the yeah. movie. Mm. There was something he even said too. I think on a, on this note about specifically the Ox, the the Jamaican gangster. Oh, brother! And by the way, for anyone who's interested in this movie or whatever, like I highly recommend you go read like Nick Pinkerton's breakdown of the movie and and his exploration because there's some really nice gems in there. But but he basically said that. That was kind of like his take on on Ox, the Jamaican gangster, because he's speaking in a very, very heavy Jamaican accent, the patois, which we are familiar with from Shadhas. Okay, can we talk about? Sorry, I don't, I don't want to. Okay, I don't want to derail this whole fucking episode. But Louis Rankin, yeah. is in Shadhas. Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. And again, if anyone loves Belly, watch. Shadas yeah. from 2002 and listen to our episode on the Caribbean uh, because, you know, watching Belly, I was just like, wow, yeah. Shadas is such a such a shameful oh, yeah. attempt <laughs> to recreate <laughs> Belly. Yes, you know? it is. Uh, down to the Louis Rankin part and the just unbelievable patois. Dead ass, man. Can't deal with that one. Yo, I've been planning this for a minute, you know what I'm saying? I got, I got the spot out of town, you know what I'm saying? My man in him is out there already, his girl is a cop, and, and the niggas that's at that, you know what I'm saying? Right. Niggas is half-time, you know what I'm saying? Part-time hustle. So you want me, you know, you want me, put your on that. Yeah, you know, ain't got no I can get it. Tell me, you hear me? Right now, you're kind of hot, you know? I don't want to, I don't want to rask, I don't want to fuck with you, because you are. Police all are watch you. See? The pigs good are watch you, right? Blood clot, no. I ain't going back to jail, dog. And just like, uh, that scene is one of my favorites. It's totally incomprehensible, uh, except for the vibes. It's like you're smoking that giant fat blunt with this guy. Oh my God. Watching yeah. soccer it's on so TV. Yeah. And I mean, there are some epic blunts in this movie, like Camberwell carrot sized fucking blunts in this yeah. movie. Oh God. Yeah. But this some guy. Of them, some of them are, look just bad though. Like, yeah. They, they look like, like they were falling apart. Really <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not a lot of care in the blunt department sometimes, but uh, yeah. like it's an insane scene and it's clearly like, yeah, they, they didn't really have like the coverage to edit it. So they just like did some insane shit and they're just dissolving 
in this conversation mm-hmm. and dissolving and dissolving. I mean, it's like, it's really one of the most radical shot reverse shots I've ever seen, oh, you yeah. know? Like, and yes, people are going to say it doesn't work. It totally works. You get it. They make yeah. the deal. They smoke weed. The TV's on. They're in his huge villa, you know, mm-hmm. like they're chilling. It's fine, you know? Like, what needs to be communicated? Do we need to see another scene in a movie where a guy's like, hey, man, can you help me out with this deal? And the guy's like, oh, I don't know, man. Oh, please help me out with yeah. this deal. I really need it. Let me put it, it you this know? way. Yeah, yeah like, you don't need that. Like, yeah. Again, we've seen yeah. that scene. So now we're just, like, in this new new territory of of you know yeah freedom or whatever yeah it's the image of the deal more than it's about the specifics of the deal (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, Yeah. i mean it's very archetypal the whole thing you know the genre you know we it relies on genre yeah to accomplish any of its narrative aspirations i mean that's the thing I think that might be a sticking point for a lot of people is the performance style is like inconsistent. Like that's, I think what might take people out of the movie. And like Shada's, it's a stoned performance style. I mean, some of these guys are so blazed (laughs) and it's awesome because like they would be in real life too, you know? So like I certainly have no issue with it. But they're again Rossellini moment, you know. These are just real guy. These are real guys, you know. Like, yes, they're charismatic. I mean, DMX is certainly charismatic. But this uh, this double feature for me, like, was was. I mean, obviously these movies communicate with each other a lot. But but man, this is such a great double feature for like promoting uppers and promoting downers. Like, I watch <laughs> I watch Bringing Out the Dead, and I want to just like blow some rails and like jump in a car and start speeding down dark lit streets of, of my city, you know? And then I watch this and I'm like, yeah, I need to just chill out. Gummo and chill. Yeah, dude, gummo and chill. (laughs) Yeah. Smoke the, the Kingston carrot with Louis Rankin and just watch bad soccer or whatever. Watch Jamaica get blown out 13 to nothing by Brazil or something. Yeah. This this double feature is like a speedball, dude. It's, it's, it it's, totally, it's is. totally mixing drugs, dude. Wow. And you know, the other perfect, obvious connection that we have to make is uh, these films do share uh, a televisual connection because they both have actors from The Wire. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> Which That's is very true. late 90s of them, you know, pre The Wire, but you can see. Uh, Kima and Weebay and all your friends in the background of these <laughs> of these movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that was the great thing about The Wire, right? Was the casting is that yeah. all these people got real roles? Yeah, um, not that. Well, actually, no. Kima doesn't really have a real role, <laughs> and Weebay doesn't really have a real role. But, They're real um, to me, damn it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they fit. They they fit the movie, and they like they, they fit their scenes really well. Like Cliff Curtis's apartment is amazing. Yes. Like both that first time when he tries to rescue her, and when he goes to rescue Cliff Curtis. Like it, just amazing production design. Um, everything just feels like that would be a drug den, but it. Uh, but it's not like pretty either. It's just beautiful. Like there's a. It's like one of those sacred profane things for marty you know everything is both at the same time always you know like there is no dichotomy it's always everything 
Sorry, I just almost said that. Yeah. Everything. Um, <laughs> anyways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a real but, Scorsese you know, it, hype Williams moment, though, you know, because it's like. No, yeah. It, and it's like very 90s pomo of like, like always already and all that bullshit, you know, so. Mm. Uh, the fish tank. I don't know dude. how you. Yeah, the fish tank, dude. Getting a lot of light detail. sleeper vibes from that whole setup, too, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean another great period piece like it, it, I, no it isn't a period piece but like the rossellini <laughs> thing is totally there like the trash and all that jazz like that's amazing yeah um and they're both like movies belly and bringing out the dead that are premised on local color in a certain way you know like another traditional american storytelling device is like dropping you into a place and like really exploring the milia through language and i think that's part of that scene with the Kingston, whatever, dude. Ox, like, it doesn't matter what they're saying because you're just like, you, you can follow it without, you don't need any, like, it, mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like racist to like want to like want to put subtitles or anything. But there are subtitles sometimes too. Like, it's weird. Like, yeah. it's just such an aesthetic object that uh, it doesn't try for naturalism ever, which is the other reason why I don't like get mad at the performances. Like, if you understand it as purely an aesthetic object, then, that it, like, it doesn't really matter yeah. that there might be inconsistencies. Look, so. I, call me crazy, but, like, when I watch Belly, I am, like, I'm watching DMX and I'm watching Nas, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Or, or when, like, my girlfriend walked in the room, she's like, is that T-Boz? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah. Like, totally. that's, that's who they are, you know? They're mm-hmm. the the personas as well. They're the images that are, are on display that are also tied in, of course, you know, commercially with, you know, the stories behind their music and the stories behind the persona that they were selling to the industry at, at that time. But, you know, even in that like sacred and profane, like collision you're talking about too, there's, when they're in like Kingston, there's that amazing sequence where again, uh, DMX and Louis Rankin, uh, Tommy and Ox are, are in the car and, and Ox is basically like, cause I, I wrote down the big vacation. This is like the vacation <laughs> scene. Cause that's what he, Ox says to him. He's like, I'm going to take you on a nice trip. And he takes yeah. Tommy to Kingston and he's taking him to his neighborhood. And he's, he's essentially like trying to show him like where he came from, you know, where Ox came from and and how he struggled and how he fought. But I think he's also sort of in that, they're they're cruising around in a very nice car, certainly for Kingston, and they have a lot of money and they're smoking weed and he's he's trying to get him to picture the 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 struggle that he's had to overcome and and he also I think says some vague things about how he likes to try to give back to the community. But while that's going on, Hype Williams is cutting to a group of children who are trying to run alongside the car. And I I didn't really understand the gesture, but these like 10-year-old kids have a Glock and they're like banging the Glock against the like the the, the windows of the car. And like it's again this collision between a sort of almost like idealized explanation of 
oh yeah, you know, the, the, the American dream. Look at me. I, I now have money. I live in America, but I get to come back here and I get to, you know, touch my roots and, and remember the struggle, but a struggle that is like still very much on display and perhaps even more so like, like bringing out the dead. It's like outside the windows of the car. It's so apocalyptic, mm-hmm. you know, there's just children mm-hmm. running down the street with pistols. Like what the hell is this all about? You and then, yeah. And in the ultimate indignity, uh, we get to see a guy assassinated by a KFC, you know, <laughs> at the end of the Jamaica sequence, yeah. which, uh, another connection between the film, of course, is that when DMX, you know, he's, he, he owes Tom, uh, owes Ox. So he's got to kill this guy in Jamaica make for him and he poses as a, a car window washer with like fake dreads yeah. uh, and rolls up and blows this guy away and I was thinking like it's it's Mark Anthony from bringing from bringing out the dead, <laughs> totally. Yeah. totally. Uh, who we should mention is like one of these spectral figures in in bringing out the dead. That's a, a recurring like himself. He's like a motif, you yeah. know, who just keeps yeah. popping up unexpectedly and unrealistically. Yeah, because uh, you know it's like we were we were. I think Ryland, you used the word like archetypal and kind of breaking down some of the people in Belly and bringing out the dead also has that in certain points as, as you're describing with Mark Anthony. Again, he's sort of the, the archetype of the crazy guy, right? The crazy guy that, that is in the neighborhood. And again, like Mr. O the, the, the town drunk or whatever, right? That, that is they're They're all characters who are like known and they're perhaps known just simply for, you know, the, the effect they seem to have on everyone around them, but they are people who, who we never really penetrate. We just sort of see how they move through this world. And, and that's that. Yeah. Dude, I gotta say, I gotta say too, like Mark Anthony really quickly, like, you know, I, I, I know you he's been think in he some, had it in him? I, well, I know I'd see, I mean, I'd seen this before, but like, and I'd seen him in other movies, but like, damn, like here, he is just really like, He's on another level for a lot of other times I've seen him act, you know, and perhaps that's just Martin Scorsese. Pretty good director. Pretty good director. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I feel like there's like when uh, after Tom Sizemore like kicks him in the in the ambulance and stuff, and there's that cut to him just sort of, oh, what happened? Like I could just see that being the camera was still rolling, and Mark Antony was just like, and. Marty and and Thelma were just like, oh, we got to use that, like that moment, you know, Mm -hmm. like that doesn't seem necessarily scripted. Um, I lost what else I was going to say. Yeah, he's great, though. It's true. Oh, with the big dreads. Yeah, he's the Counting Crows uh, archetype. (laughs) Yeah, because like even like again like the the my my friend growing up i had this buddy and his absolute favorite character in bringing out the dead is the security officer with the sunglasses Uh, I forget what that character's name is. It's like Gris or something, I think. Grizz, yeah. Yeah, Grizz. Like, and again, like the whole premise of his character is that he's just hidden behind these, these like absolutely like opaque sunglasses, and and you don't want him to take them off. That's what he threatens, right? Don't, but yeah. but again, he's just like he's just the 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 no shit taking security guard at the at the hospital. Yeah. I mean, they roll in Mr. O, and he's like, no, take that stinky-ass motherfucker out of here. I'm not smelling that guy for an hour. Yeah, I feel like that 
that's another just achievement of of the film itself is the just like the hospital you know every time they're rolling in there it's like this set piece it's a circus oh yeah Yeah. it's a total circus and there's so much staging going on and the way all these people recurring and not are just again yeah at a fucking er all of a sudden and it's it's Very, Fellini's clowns, dude. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, I yeah. I always think, you know, I'm always going like, what Italians was he thinking of when he is this a Visconti movie or a Fellini movie? You yeah. know, yeah. and yeah, the hospital is is the circus and these dollying past sarcastic doctors. You know, I mean, we're getting we're getting everything in those spaces. You know. <laughs> Hey, partner, your man doesn't look well. They're not going to appreciate you inside. Nobody loves me, Gris. Hey, Gris just telling you things are backing up. Gris, let us in. Whatever you say. Don't even slow down, just keep on moving. Sir, you say you've been snorting cocaine for three days, and now you feel as if your heart is beating too fast, and you would like for us to help you. Well, to tell you the truth, I don't see why we should. Yeah, people Mrs. are fighting, people are tripping. Like, there's even just like some really just like almost like slapstick comedy moments. Like oh, they, yeah. they kick one of the like the hospital doors open and there's some poor guy with like a bloody foot that gets nailed by the door. I mean, it's yeah. it's just, it's Goof City in there. Yeah, Jerry Lewis creeping up always. Yeah, know? and I, I yeah. saw in the credits, I don't know if I ever heard his name, but in the credits, like the, the sort of like central ER doctor at the, the hospital that they're going at, he's... In the credits, he's listed as Dr. Hazmat, which again is just like this sort of <laughs> this like this like clown moniker for for being a doctor yeah. in an ER, you know. Doctor, I, I do think it's cool that Mary Beth Hurt uh, is like the triage person. Yeah, like Paul Schrader's wife is actually a figure of the film who's like. She actually likes Mr. O, I think, right? She's like, oh, I'll take him on inside. <laughs> but she's always but the one grilling else. everyone, being like, and why should we oh, take yeah. your drunk ass in? You know, Including <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. including a very coked out of his mind, Larry Fessenden. Very blink if yeah. you miss him. Oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, dude. I mean, blink and you miss Ida Turturro, too. She's like a nurse who yeah. just pops in and out, and yeah. you're like... Give me well, more. She just uh, shows up to that. say no, basically. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Oh man. Yeah. Because it is like a very like dark and heavy movie, but I think that's again on rewatch this time. Like I really picked up on so much more of like the humor this time around. I think the first time oh, I yeah. saw it, I was just overwhelmed by the bleakness of it all. Yeah. By the Schrader, that. you know, you got to go, you got to work this through the Schrader, you yeah. know, and then. Yeah, yeah, and then you, you, yeah, you, you start to go like, oh man, this is actually really, really funny, you know, and especially with like Cage's performance because I think again, my first, my first viewing of this film, I was just like, God damn, Nick Cage, like he's he's so haunted and he's so dramatic, and he's certainly haunted and he's certainly dramatic, but I think this time around, I was laughing so much more at his various stages of, of like sort of breakdown and and recovery and and like just. Like how how manic he was at various points. I was I was cracking up. Oh yeah, this is the worst suicide attempt I've ever seen. 
<laughs> that thing was amazing. Yeah. And uh, and Tom Sizemore is losing it just watching that scene happen. And you got to imagine that was real. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Too real. I mean, yeah. he's his his character name is Major Tom. You know, <laughs> like definitely a spacey kind of thing. Like it also gets to like the archetypal stuff. Like both of these movies feel like fables. You yeah. know, and it's sort of like what kind of movie do you want to watch? Do you want to watch something neorealist that is more like Rome Open City or something, or do you want to watch these like fantastic? uh aesthetic objects that are just like archetypal philosophical stories about boundaries and uh like the main one obviously that we all have in common is we're gonna die yeah i mean it's like because in that regard you know it's like both both films are are sort of asking us like existential questions right that that if if yeah. in the case of like bringing out the dead if yes the world is dying if the world is like broken beyond repair if it's falling apart like like what is our role in that like or how are we going to what are we going to do with that information once we acknowledge it right and and again i think like each of his partners is representative of different approaches, different thoughts on, you know, different philosophies, if you will, right? There's a lot of like philosophies that are sort of being bounced off of one another throughout this film. And we also get that in, in belly, you know, there's the, the sort of like, as they sort of, again, in the, in the, the various kind of plot holes, I guess you could argue, like there is a separation that takes ellipses. place. Yeah. Ellipses. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, where our two central characters, where Butch and Sundance, they kind of depart. They, they part ways, you know, through this film. And there's really this kind of like central moment where they're riding in a car together when they're they're selling drugs in, I think, Omaha. Omaha. Yeah, in Omaha. Mm -hmm. Which, again, I was just like, why are they going to Omaha for this? But soft, anyway. Soft launch, dude. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an easy market to break into, I guess. But... Um, <laughs> But, you know, like, Nas is basically asking that question. Yo, God, you ever wonder what the fuck your purpose is out here, man? What you put on this earth for? Here we go again. Like, do you ever wonder why we're here? Do you ever wonder, like, what our purpose is? Like, why are we, what are we doing? And and it's almost like you could read it two ways. Like, he's reflecting on, like, the film itself. Like, what are we even doing here, yeah. right? What are we, what are we doing? What is all this for? And, and Tommy DMX is just like, dude, it's fucking simple. Ain't no purpose, dog. It's money. We born to fucking die, man. In the meantime, get money. Fuck a book, man. Yeah, that's it. You yeah. know, like, don't question anything. Like, this is the world that we've inherited. These are the rules. And and now let's break as many as we can to, to claw our way to whatever, to having a, a modernist palace or or something. But, but then Nas is like, well, you know, I... I'm reading a book. <laughs> and I, I laughed again this time, like in the moment where they show him like really thoughtfully reading and it's just the title of the book. It's just self-improvement, you know? And it's just like, again, like an archetype of the kind of yeah. book that might open your eyes to something. But, but yeah, you know, like he's basically just like, I, I think there's more. I think that perhaps we can find a better way to to carry ourselves through this world. We don't simply have to inherit 
what we have. You know, both of these films are really about that, about like, okay, this is it. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to act, right? How are you going to make sense of this fucking mess that you are, you didn't ask to be born into, but you've been thrust into. Yeah, I I wrote uh, down, watching Belly, sentimental education, you know, like it's very much about these young men trying to figure out the rules of the world. Uh, like the Flaubert book is like such explicit allegory about France at the time. It seems that something similar is at play in this movie, I, I would argue. Um, and sentimental, like it's almost schematic, I guess, that uh, DMX is like so cynical and everything. And then Nas is this idealist who then like gets his happy ending at the movie because DMX is also given a happy ending of resolution like uh salvation by this preacher who like i guess is some version of elijah muhammad maybe um or farrakhan apparently (laughs) or fair apparently hype williams was in talks with farrakhan this farrakhan was supposed to play that role yeah yeah and and then eventually just was like i i don't think so pulled out or something a shame because uh <laughs> feel like the reverend here is kind of sleepy you know yeah he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't yeah. really have the spark yeah. that that scene like needs i think but he just yeah, yeah he doesn't match dmx like dmx is so immediately enter- like electric yeah. that you need somebody i mean that's the problem with him and nas nas is just like down here <laughs> and yeah. dmx high is, and like, low yeah it's i mean again it's sort of the schematic thing i mean you could argue the same thing is true of the three uh ghosts that he rides with you know like uh in bringing out the dead like also like john candy or john uh, goodman is just like i've had enough and then we never see him again you know <laughs> like it's perfect these perfect exits mm-hmm. like ving rames like they crash the car you never see him again yeah but tom sizemore is this like ghost of future past or whatever who's in all three stories somehow Mm -hmm. um, and then comes together with him on uh, saving the drug dealer. Yeah. The darkest (laughs) night of the soul. Yeah. The guy who like (laughs) says he got, he fell onto the the spike because he didn't, because he's been losing weight. He didn't fall as fast (laughs) because he's he's lighter on his feet. (laughs) But even, you know, you're talking about their exits. Like Tom Sizemore's exit is pretty great too, where it's just him yeah, taking yeah. like a riot baton to the ambulance and just like beating <laughs> yeah. it, you know, beating it. Totally. You know, I read that the fence thing, of course, uh, was a real incident that Connolly had had experienced, where they took this guy to the hospital with. Uh, part of a fence that they had to cut off, you know, and oh, this guy, God. like, like that, you know, of course, yeah, all this, and that's like played for laughs. Like Scorsese thinks it's hilarious, and I think probably Connolly yeah. thinks it's hilarious too. Yeah. Hey, the guy lives, you know, like, but yeah. he was, you know, stuck on a, on a fence on the side of a building, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. and it's uh, in that moment too. Cage is so compassionate, uh, especially for a guy yeah. that he like basically hates, you know, and I mean that's. Yeah. I think so important to the movie is, yeah, he is this this compassionate guy who, like, really is just being hard on himself. I mean, that's what everyone tells him. It's like, that's also yeah. what I think, like, 
Scorsese knows the cosmic joke of the movie is that maybe like in Schrader's three week draft that he tossed off didn't consider that like yeah it is all a joke like this guy needs to chill out you know like yeah. another movie about a guy that really just needs to sleep like yeah. Bullworth yes. you know like dude just yeah. need I mean again Cliff Curtis is the drug dealer I mean that was like his thing when he goes to the oasis to that that apartment you were talking yeah. about earlier Cliff Curtis picks up on that right away. Like he zeroes in on yeah. it. He's like, you need to sleep, dude. You need to chill out here. Take the, like, he's like a doctor trying to prescribe him medicine for a guy that he sees completely coming apart. Yeah. He just is taking it all too seriously. And of course it should be all taken seriously. Yeah. What to do, what to I mean, do, it's like, you know, this, this new strategy of dealing with addicts where you ask like, what are you getting out of this? Instead of like shaming them immediately, you, you turn it, you know, and say like, so what are you getting at? Like, um, it, it's actually a compassionate thing to say like, Oh, you're addicted to cigarettes. Like, what do you, so how does that help you? And like, just not actually make somebody feel bad. <laughs> you're just like trying to understand, have a dialogue about like what else you could do perhaps, or, you mm -hmm. know, it's not even like, it, a judgment at all it's just like yeah meeting somebody at, he, at what they need he sees himself as basically providing a service like a clinic yeah you know that yeah. that that den of of drugs whatever they are the oasis i mean he's kind of like got that approach almost of like look people are gonna find drugs people are gonna go out there and there's a lot of bad shit out there something again In that both films both films <laughs> share is there's a there's bad new, shit going around yeah there's some new ultra yeah. heroin on the market i love again in belly though how we we learn that information it's like gotta put Kurt on the Loder. news dude mtv news yeah. with the big yeah. the big ultra heroin <laughs> yeah dude yeah. Yeah. yeah you know but take me back to 99 with kurt loader dude. dude oh my god breaking news yeah but but again it's like yeah it's like Cliff Curtis is basically like, yeah, there's there's bad shit out there, man. Like, what would you want? These people out there scoring on the street, out there, or in here, safe, in a controlled environment, protected, with people watching over them to make sure that, like, they don't OD, nothing bad happens to them, you know? it's it's uh, Except for when you're raided and you jump off the balcony. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But they were raided yeah. by, like, street, like, punks, basically, you know? Yeah, they, were, yeah. they were raided by the guys they who were the selling Aquarium. the Red Death. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Michael the guys who got Michael K. Williams. Oh, bastards. Yeah, man, dude. Yeah. Rip. Such a good insert when like he Michael K. Williams drops the vials of Red Death, and then there's another insert of somebody grabbing them, and the the sound of the little vials coming off the cement is so satisfying. Jesus. <laughs> like all those little flourishes of craft are so fun in Scorsese. I ran I ran into Sherman in the backyard like this morning or yesterday, who knows? Uh, and I was talking, I had like just watched Bringing Out the Dead. And I was similarly like, it's like these transitions. How am I going to talk about these transitions? You know, like because it's it's that stuff too that just enriches the movie in, in so many ways. Like for all like i think like belly bringing out the dead stops and starts a lot you know mm -hmm. and it's often yeah. like restarting with this like you know pedal to the metal sort of screeching tire kind of thing and the transitions that Thelma and, and marty have done here 
with all these different angles, the different speed rates, like of the footage, uh, the sound effects that go along with them, just to like bridge space and time in this almost like hyper speed. Like I can't even describe it, you know, because also it just happened so fast. I'm like, I gotta watch this in like slow motion and like do an Eisenstein breakdown of it because uh, yeah. it's insane what they do, you know? Yeah, yeah, and and I think again that's why you know, my memory, my reflection of it is that the movie goes by in a blur, you know, yeah. like re, re still does. Yeah. Revisiting it. Yeah. It's, it still definitely does go by in a blur, but the more you see it, the more you, you kind of like get on those wavelengths, like you said, of those, those big shifts, because it is like, there are moments where it's very slow. It's very quiet. It's, there are just moments of people just talking and, and, we aren't flying all over the place. The camera isn't like flipping from the ceiling, like down into some sort of like perpendicular angle of, of the room. Like, but it's just so that, that stop and start that you're talking about just becomes so it, it overpowers you. You, you, you give into the anxiety the as it builds with him. And that's what those transitions create for, for me. It's like mini panic attacks that suddenly just like slam you into a, a state of total, total like disarray. Yeah. It's, it's also just like a wake up for the audience yeah. too. Like as much as it is like stylistically like, hyperbolic or maximalist or whatever like a lot of the dialogue is just singles you know yeah. just re shot reverse shot it's very like present with the actors and lets them really inhabit like but i'm mainly thinking of the scenes with patricia arquette like those scenes are very much like this is a tender connection that's being made yeah, yeah. Um, very grounded yeah it's the pickpocket like, oh, romance is why, all over again yeah yeah it's like this is why i'm choosing to participate in the world is these kinds of opportunities um, yeah they almost feel most of the time like they're from a different film i I mean, the whole tone and yeah. tenor of the movie shifts whenever she wanders in. And even then, there's multiple looks there. Like, at a certain point, she's, like, dressed like a, a totally different person from the past. And you're like, all right, yeah. whatever, man. You know, like, yeah. we're in dreamland here, so it's fine. But, uh... Totally. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the old uh, bird at the end of Citizen Kane, you know? Give a good screech to wake the audience yeah, yeah. up after all this philosophizing and once you're back out on the road, you know? Yeah. It also seemed like a hard movie to make. <laughs> oh, it seemed <laughs> they, they, Like, they, they, I guess they, they went, they had a strip of 8th Avenue, maybe, from, like, 57th to 42nd. And so they could only like go one is like one way south. And uh, but they since they had an ambulance on a process trailer with another truck and then they had another truck for safety behind them there. You know, it's hard to like stop at a red light. And so they Marty would talk about how like we'd get through half a scene and we'd hit a red light and like they'd have to stop and then we just have to go back to 57th. And so like there were you know, shooting all-nighters for months. 75, like 75 days. God yeah. damn. I mean, yeah, in, in retrospect, both films are, are quite, uh, you know, feats given the circumstances because, yeah, 75 overnights will make anyone, first of all, go insane, go insane you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, and those are just, I mean, it's a very 
formally in- intensive movie like any Scorsese movie uh, it's involved yeah. you know uh, and Belly was a 30 day shooting schedule uh, what? yeah dude um, and and again this is like mentioned in the Pinkerton piece it was also produced uh, after Bane Capital had like bought the the, the film studio uh, so I think technically like Romney produced Belly on accident <laughs> you know when he when he was at Bain, I assume he was at Bain Capital then you know Oh, um, yeah. but like, yeah, 30 days, 3 million. I mean, that's nothing. Oh yeah. And hype Williams crazy. has huge ambition. That's what he brought. Like Andy mentioned, like to the hip hop video was a larger than life sort of approach to these things. Not, uh, you know, Wu Tang clan around like a lit barrel, uh, in the projects <laughs> yeah. videos, yeah. but like, you know, the glitz of yeah. the nineties, right? yeah. Yeah. Like, or, or movie homages. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Buster Rhymes videos, right. Or whatever. Um, where was I going with that? Uh, 30 days. Oh yeah. 30, yeah. 30 30 days, dude. Right. 30 days, 3 million. And again, I, you know, and you know, I'm a broken record. I'm still only watching Hong Kong movies outside of the gauntlet and, and school. So I just kept thinking, watching belly going like this film should have been made in the Hong Kong system because the Hong Kong system was built for improv. Well, it wasn't built for improvisation, but they did improvise because this is sort of how fast they made those movies. They were usually like 30 day shoots and they're making them so fast. They're writing them as they're making them. And I'm thinking like, damn, like he should have been in the other studio system, you know, because he could have thrived instead of everyone going like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, Well, like, yeah, he's, he's creating in his own way, which is a sort of music video approach. And I have no doubt that like, yeah, if he had the money Marty had in 75 nights, I mean, it would have been maybe even conventionally one of the best movies ever made or well, whatever, you know? Yeah. They, they certainly would have been able to go to Africa, which yes. is what they had planned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But instead, you just get it in, in voiceover. But yeah. yeah, but it's such a beautiful shot. You don't mind, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, true. Really, like, it is truly transcendent, I think. When I opened my eyes, I couldn't believe it. Africa, for real. I felt like I never really seen clouds before. I felt like the sky was a different color blue, the trees a different color green, and the people too. The people were beautiful. It was very, it, you know what it actually reminded me of again? Because I think while I was watching this, I was, this time around, you know, Marsh, as you were sort of looking at Martin Scorsese's movie and, and kind of being like, all right, you know, what are we on here? Where's Fellini? Where's Rossellini? Like this time when I was watching Belly, I really was like, all right, I want to see if I can pick out all the the different directors and movies that he was on, that he had been watching, that he, you know, was probably even trying to recommend or explain at various points to DMX or Nas or whatever, you know, but like... Coppola. 
Dude, yeah, <laughs> there was there was a whole lot of Godard this time that I picked up on, dude. Like again, like the car stuff, like not just the the very clearly artificial like front and rear projection, but like the way it was lit reminded me of like the the car sequence in Piero Lefou where he just had like the the colored lights just like spinning to to sort of yeah. replicate the the street lights. Um, so like that kind of stuff, you know. But again, also even with that ending, I was thinking of like um, Band of Outsiders. Isn't that basically how Band of Outsiders ends, where we get a voiceover explaining the the adventures they're off to in America? Of course, we don't see them, right? We're just told, oh, and it's going to be in Technicolor. You 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 gotta imagine it's going to be amazing, right? So so yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stuff in here. I mean, not just the the you know that stuff but but again like all the various like superimpositions i mean just the- i think this, i think belly has like the most dissolves of any movie ever made <laughs> i'm not i mean probably it's got to be up there right mm-hmm. i mean yeah the faustian scene with ox where he goes to his house is insane like i everything is layered there and it just adds to the discombobulation you know i Speaking of production, like that DP that he worked with also shot um, Clockers for Spike a couple years prior. And he, after Belly, I don't think he's shot a single feature because he just doesn't like the process at all. He gets better budgets with more time on music videos and, and commercials and stuff. Yeah. When probably less, him. as Marsh was describing too, again, like less prying eyes. I mean, I, I yeah. think that that's really what what hampered this thing as it goes on because this is a movie that starts at the absolute like zenith of of yeah. cinematic pleasure and as it you know sort of like cascades towards its conclusion like the movie becomes less and less uh, dynamic it it starts to and you know maybe part of that is also because they're they're just suddenly becoming like nerds i guess and bookworms they both are wearing <laughs> glasses by the end of it right to symbolize yeah. their their transformation as as people who read um but you know again it's like i i think that he started to just run out of time and he ran out of money and 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 he was told yeah. that's it it's an un- i honestly like think he thinks of it as like an unfinished film i mean he yeah. doesn't really like to field questions about it like to him it is a it was an unmitigated disaster yeah. from a production standpoint and like uh, yeah. he you know he i watched an interview with him where he's like yeah i'm very blessed and thankful that like people like it like for me it was a nightmare you know that's the truth of it, right? Um, and yeah. it's, yeah, it's sad, you know, because he, he certainly could, uh, you know, he's as good or better of a filmmaker than any of those guys that made the transition from music video to oh, feature film. For so, sure. Yeah. 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 Or Spike Jones, F. Gary Gray, you know, like, yeah. who yeah. I love, you know, but like hype's there you know and and again whether he finds yeah probably finds more freedom uh in his music video commercial playground you know why not but yeah it's a it's a bummer because like this film (laughs) represents a future that that didn't happen you know Mm -hmm, like totally just as they were filming a 1999 movie in 1998 uh yeah you know he's he's projecting this into the future like 
movies can be like this. And it's like, no, they can't, yeah. you know, like <laughs> the producer says you can't Swift. make them like this, <laughs> you know, like yeah. they're telling you right now, you know, they're knocking at your yeah. door in the editing room, yeah. like in real time. Yeah. Oh man. It's also, you know, gotta be fractionally, uh, racially motivated <laughs> at a yeah, certain level. Sure. You know? Like, um, Marty, you know, spent, over 50 million on bringing out the dead like because he's martin scorsese yeah and uh you know marty likes to talk about how they shot taxi driver for 1.5 in 1973 but that that's still like 25 million dollars in today's not 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 that yeah yeah cheap there's a man who's at home you know in in the system for whatever it's worth right and and hype clearly you know had had trouble with it and and you know probably totally. not his fault you mm-hmm. know we got bean capital yeah. involved come on yeah you know it's i kept thinking of of uh there's a there's a line in um star trek 2 the wrath of khan I don't know how familiar you are with that, Ryland. Um, but <laughs> there's Star Trek uh, alert. This is what I was saying. Uh, this is what I just kept coming back to this line. In I don't know why it has nothing to do with like Star Trek, other than maybe like the future, right? The possibility. I don't know. But but anyway, like just seeing the crazy, the crazy um, visual language on display here, the superimpositions the constant dynamism of extreme high angles and low angles and overhead shots and, and just the camera moving in places, the camera being set up in places that, again, like I said, if you took a goddamn production one class, like no one would ever put it in your head to like stage this scene this way or film this dialogue yes. scene, this, right? Like the, your, your professor might be like, that's a little, can you straighten that thing out there? You know? <laughs> And I was just thinking of something that Spock said to Kirk when when they were trying to figure out how to beat Khan when they were they were you know in their ship to ship combat and Spock was like analyzing the way that Khan was moving and he said you know his moving I'm paraphrasing but he's like his moving depicts a sort of two dimensional thinking and that's how Kirk beats Khan by thinking three-dimensionally in terms of space and being like oh yeah. we can go up too like we got this is this is 360 degrees we can go anywhere we fucking want and like i was thinking that that's like that's like hype williams is doing that here it's like why is this movie so different from so many other movies you've seen because like the dude is thinking in a in in three dimensions in terms of like how he's using space where he's where he's he's shooting from he's all over the place and again like to take nothing away from Scorsese Scorsese's doing he's that quite a bit too that, yeah. right you know but again yeah. he clearly was influenced by people like Scorsese but i think that hype williams is just like taking it into again territory oh, yeah. that probably made a lot of people uncomfortable when they're sitting there you know these suits at wherever going like this doesn't look like what? anything i've ever seen yeah. like yeah. There's something wrong why here. is everyone in silhouette yeah, yeah. Dude. why is everything black i mean is this the citizen kane of like music video director movies yes. i mean really probably i mean yes what else are you gonna say i mean it's not like zodiac is like a music video movie no. at all you know it's just a <laughs> masterpiece yeah <laughs> although it's got um, the uh the donovan you know 
Yeah, which, true, which true. you love to see. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a, there was one point you know where the shot was like in belly was like dollying through Sincere's house, and I just wrote like malik ass shot and then <laughs> and then when i was watching this interview you know with hype he someone asked him in the crowd they said uh, who was your favorite dp to work with and he took forever and then he's just like ah, i don't really want to uh and he just goes my favorite dp i haven't worked with his name's chivo mm-hmm. been friends with him for a long time we text you know Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> and that was like all he said. And I was like, okay, yeah, hype, like Lubezki head. Yeah. Like obviously, mm-hmm. again, thinking more like Malik, thinking outside the box, creating new images, not going over the shoulder again, right? Not telling the yeah. gangster story the same way again, not doing shot reverse shot the same way again, right? The Roaring Twenties came out in 1939, right? Cagney, Bogart, the original Tommy and Sincere, you know? It's like the same fucking story, mm-hmm. but totally. not, you know? Now here we are in Hype's future world, you know? Yeah. Reminds me of this story I heard about Godard again. Like, I mean, to the, the like making people uncomfortable angle, like it makes me think of goodbye to language, which is just so bizarre. And, you know, I, I mean, amazing. Like, I think that movie's a 10, but like he, I heard a story that like, Strobe watched it at, at his house. He's like, wow, yeah, a bit much. strobe of course you don't like this crazy man layering all this this, but that sort of feels like the film school idea would be like come on cool it just like tell your story dude but um a bit much hype form of art yeah Yeah. (laughs) bit much marty you know yeah we got all kinds of mannerist formalist action here on the gauntlet this week we love it Mm. Yeah. Well, shit. Uh, Should we wrap it up? Yeah. Any final, uh, final remarks uh, on this double feature? I mean, this is like, this is such an amazing. I mean, really is like an amazing double feature. I think. I mean, these these movies, like to me, they fit so perfectly together for so many reasons we've described and. And, um, I mean, I, I just like, yeah, I, I guess as you put it, Marsh, this watching belly too now is this very bittersweet kind of experience because it is broken. It is imperfect and it does allude to something that, that didn't happen, you know? And I just, I, I look at this movie and, and yeah, I'm so glad that it, it has gotten a lot more attention now from a lot of people sort of saying, wait a second, like this thing deserves so much more attention. But, but yeah, I was just so happy to be able to bring this to the table with you guys. And, and I really think this is one of our, our, our most blessed double features, which, which is very, very uh, extra sweet for me, considering that Ryland, you were able to just swoop right in here and just just <laughs> slam us with a perfectly blessed double feature. Yeah, and it's especially blessed, which we didn't even mention, that uh, Frank Vincent uh, of Martin Scorsese filmography fame appears, of course, in Belly as the undercover agent that pressures DMX into uh, being an informant slash assassin for the feds. And he is not explicitly even in 
the film. He's in a hood and he's in the shadows. But Vincent had been brought in as an acting coach, uh, which is so funny. It's like, yeah, let's get Phil Leotardo in here. You know, <laughs> yeah. let's get Billy Bats in here to to teach these rappers how to act. I guess. And then he just ended up, get you know, shine box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, he just ended up being in the movie, and he, and it's awesome. And you, you know, know what's funny because we didn't really even like pick up on that whole thread in our discussion of like the vague shadowy organization that Frank Vincent's character represents because I think at first you assume it's the mafia, but then he keeps saying operatives and agents, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it is some, I think, yeah, some some governmental organization. Well, it is Frank Vincent's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But you know what's funny, too? Like, in you describing, like, how he was filmed, in the oral history I read, uh, Frank Vincent said that that was a suggestion that almost he came up with, it sounded like, because... Uh, Hype Williams wanted his character to have a totally shaved head, to be totally bald. And Frank Vincent told him, no, because I won't be able to work. You know, look at my hair, right? I mean, this is part of my my persona. So Frank Vincent was like, no, I'm not shaving my head. So he said, Hype got him a skull cap. And he's like, they put this skull cap on me. But he's like, you know, I got pretty thick hair, though, you know? So, So the skull cap kept, like, popping up, basically. And he looked like a cone head. So then Frank Vincent was like, I was like, well, why don't you just not really show my face? <laughs> and that's why he's like in silhouette the whole time. But apparently it's because Amazing. of his thick ass head of hair. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he just, yeah, he materializes in this like extreme long wide shot of a basketball court that DMX is on. He it's, just not, like, it's not even on sticks. No, like, it's, it's just handheld. like, yeah, it's strange. But. Yeah. Just like starting conversation at the basketball court, like, "Hey there, how's it going?" Yeah, he's, yeah, he's coaching. He's coaching himself up first. He's yeah. like, "Oh yeah, that's it." And then he like starts commenting yeah. on DMX and DMX, is like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> amazing, amazing scene. Yeah. yeah, I was really happy to bring uh, a movie and then inspire another movie that yes. uh, people ca- people can watch. You know, <laughs> like I feel like. Uh, one of the pleasures, but also one of the limitations, maybe, of the gauntlet is that it's rather esoteric programming. Uh, perhaps. And um, <coughs> also, I have I own both of these movies in 4K on my oh. nice TV, so that that was easier to watch for me. So thanks for indulging. If it hadn't been for <laughs> um, you, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have picked Belly. I'm I'm telling you, I was so locked into the year of production. You know, again, you were yeah. you were you were like my Spock. You were you came in and you were like you know five and three dimensions. This is a little two dimensional thinking going on here, really. I mean, I had I had the same problem, but then I wound up still choosing something from nineteen ninety nine. So, um, but what were some of the ideas that you had, Marsh? Well, gee, I mean, nineteen ninety nine, great year for for the cinema. Um, wow, I'm looking at my short list right here, and it's. Uh, which one am I going to pick? You know, it's, uh, yeah. it's too long. Um, I think, you know, 
wow, gee, uh, I really should have thought this over more. Maybe I'll uh, I'll choose something less seen, maybe. Uh, the Woman Chaser is a really good, underrated 1999 movie by Robinson DeVore, who we covered on this podcast uh, when we did Police Beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a Charles Williford adaptation about a car salesman that becomes a B-movie director. Uh, and it is uh, Warburton, you know, from Seinfeld. Yeah. Uh, as the lead, as this just terrible man. Uh, and it is, a, yeah, a real nasty and, and largely faithful adaptation of a very good book with a, with a great performance uh, at the center of it. And, uh, yeah, we, maybe one more, uh, one more pick, uh, thinking along the lines of maybe like this week, sort of genre, but, but a little offbeat, uh, Le Humanité by Bruno Dumas, one mm. of the most twisted detective uh, stories ever t- ever told. Uh, I rewatched that like uh, you know a co- just a couple years ago and was like, wow, that's a fucking movie. They don't make they don't make them like that anymore. You know, <laughs> I guess you can say that about any Br- Dumas. Bruno film. doesn't, but yeah, he doesn't even. Uh, that was in the serious phase, you know. Yeah. You know how everyone has like uh, it's like the joke, like I like the earlier funny ones. Dumas the reverse. Yeah. It's like I like the later yeah. funny ones. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. This was in the yeah, Are the, you a the slack serious. Bay guy? Uh, I I liked it. You know, I didn't hate it. Yeah, I didn't love it. <laughs> I like the other one, the Petit Cancan, better. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That one is amazing. That and the sequel to me are like probably oh, I would seen be. The still sequel. haven't oh. seen that. Yeah. Oh, either. Mm. Oh my God, mm. you would love it so. Dude. No, I know it's been on the list. I'm I'm a Dumas. I feel fan, like you, know? you wrote like the inspector, like you had a hand in writing the inspector in in the Dumas in those films and he's insane. I know I haven't seen that one but I've seen the I've seen his you know his his metal Joan of Arc musical yeah. you know I got to oh, yeah. I got to correct that you know? <laughs> which I love by the way I'm not disparaging. Yeah yeah amazing. I mean he's I I love that he shifted. 99 yeah it's it's got so many amazing films in stacked it. Stacked year, dude. It's it's such a stacked year. I did watch another 99 movie just in preparation to <laughs> to again I made myself an a, a triple feature of, you know, Y2K apocalyptic oh. uh, 99 shit. I watched I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I definitely couldn't do this because it would have been the third Peter Hyams. Oh, but no. I, I watched End of Days. <laughs> dude, I, re, I rewatched End of Days with Schwarzenegger, dude. That is. Is that the one with the alligators? No, that's that's Gabriel Byrne plays the devil, and he's come on the verge of of the millennium to impregnate Robin Tunney with the Antichrist, <laughs> right. and the only thing standing right. in his way. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Kevin Pollack. (laughs) (laughs) And Peter Hyams just doing his thing, you know? Wow. Yeah. Big, big flop. Well, uh, Ryland, thank you so much for uh, filling in and uh, stepping up into the gauntlet here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope I... uh did the job oh yeah, <laughs> yeah dude you um, ran the gauntlet man yeah dude you yeah. survived barely I but survived. uh we're all still standing you know um well thanks again for being here thanks for the double feature and uh yes we'll see you all uh in two weeks 
for the Gauntlet 100th episode Bonanza. And uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Gauntlet Movies or send an email to Marsh's Mailbag at gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com. I guess I got to be Ryan this yeah. week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> God, you guys give me lots of time to meditate on the future. What you do, huh? Stop the Chinese on the way over here. I was tired of being a coffee. All is well. And all them fools. What about the next Dad. He was screaming in my head, on my head, on my bed. That's in my heart. Let the head. That's too strange. That's too strange. Fine looking lady on the arm. What's to take me? Yeah. There's some kid who, who I wouldn't let wash my Mercedes comes to the oasis, starts shooting at me. The Red Death Game. Bunch of 12 year olds. I thought I could make it on the balcony like Tiger, you know. So what you gonna do? Well, he's fat. Falls faster, that's why. I'm trying to watch my weight and look what happens. Young lady, never shady, can't fade me. I'm getting money, no dummy, I'm acting funny. Only true thug niggas with figures, six old, I love them old. He proposed, so I gotta get mine. The boy is mine. Oh, in the fire, stop the ball. That's the shit. Then the strongest rule it all. Oh, I love this city. <laughs>